Amen, Lord. Where your spirit is, there is freedom. And we're free because Christ set us free. And we thank you, Lord. We were into all kind of bondage before we met Jesus. But now we've been set free. And we have you to thank for that. For your loving kindnesses are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness to us. Lord, today we want to be faithful to you. So today we want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through the Word of God. And we want to apply it in our lives. So we might fulfill what Jesus asked us to do. Was to take the Word into all the world. That the world might become as is such in the kingdom of heaven. And your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be a big part of that. Not just the believers in this church and not just the believers online, but the believers all around the world, Lord. And today, it would help your kingdom to come and for you to be glorified in it and their service, and their love for you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. You may be seated. For those of you online, I'm glad you tuned in. We have a whole, another whole new audience that tuned in. I want to welcome you. This is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Charpani, and we're glad you're there. If you're on our site, it's freedomchurchpb.org. FreedomChurchPB.org. You can find out our beliefs, uh, our address. You can find out and listen to any messages from years past. You can even give online should you choose to and should you uh, be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, you're here every Sunday at 10 a.m., so invite your neighbors next week, whether you be in Bolivia or, or Japan or right here in local, if you can't get out to church. You know, have church in your house. Tune in to freedomchurchpb.org and uh, invite your friends or your relatives to come on over and have church with you and uh, with us this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, so get out your Bibles, and we're going to start around the 13th verse. I'm going to cover uh, three or so verses of what we ended with last week because it's very, very important. And um, But... Before you go, I want to remind the men, if you're, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, that's Lantana, Florida, which is West Palm Beach, Boynton Beach area, for those of you that don't know, you know, we just get on I-95, go to High Paluxo Road, go west about a quarter mile, we're on the north side of the road. So you can stop in every Sunday at 10 a.m. if you're local, and men, Bible study, Saturday morning at 9 so we'd love to have you. We have a great group of guys, and they're, most of them are very well knowledgeable So uh, in the Word. And we have a good time serving and learning from one another um, and learning from the Word of God, of course. Um, you can also give online should you choose to, and we thank you for the gifts and offerings. Um, in Jesus' name. Listen, before we go into our Bible study, I do have a couple prayer requests. I, I decided I think I should do it now. There's more people that came in online, even though you don't know. 
maybe some of these people or, um, or whatever we're praying about, but you're a believer, and uh, the more believers we have, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the better. Just as long as you are a believer, you know, you really believe that Jesus, you know, God through Christ Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can do what we ask. Anyway, let's, let's pray real quick before we go on. Okay, Lord, today we want to lift up well, a member of our church's uh, daughter and her husband and her, her, her son, Lord, that has COVID. Lord God, and they're in another state, so we don't have to worry about it here. They're in another state. I think it's Oklahoma. But the grandson came down with COVID. He even start breathe, stopped breathing. He's only 19 months old. He even stopped breathing. They got him to breathe again, took him to the hospital. He has COVID. And we want to pray for that little kid, Lord, in Jesus' name. His name is Dylan, and we lift him up before you. And not only that, I just found out this morning that his dad, Alex, came down with COVID. So, Lord, we're going to rebuke that evil spirit, those evil demonic forces of the enemy away from him. COVID, you have been destroyed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and by the stripes put on his back. And we speak against it. These people are not believers, but we're believers, and we're standing in the gap for them. In Jesus' name, you are not allowed to take this child or this man or his wife and you're not allowed to do any damage with him. We speak life and not death, blessing and not curses, health and not sickness. In Jesus' holy name, by the precious blood. Lord, today we want to lift up uh, Carol and Carol's mother, Theron's mother-in-law, Joan, Lord, who's in hospice at, at Theron and Carol's house, Lord God. And Father God, I talked with her this week, and she believes that she's a Christian. She believes she's going to heaven. And I wanted to make sure that her heart is right when she, when, she, uh, when she was saying those words. But only you know her heart. So, Lord, I pray today that, that uh, you would touch her and her mind would be stayed on you until the day you take her home. Lord, she's older. She's up there. We know that it's appointed once for men to die, and after this comes judgment. We want her at the judgment seat of Christ and not the white throne judgment because we love her, because she's a human being that you created, and because she's a relative and a friend of many people, and even those that don't know her. So, Joan, we lift her up to you in Jesus' name. I want to remind the, the church to keep on Beijing in prayer. She left for Thailand on on two Monday or Tuesday, and Lord, she's in Thailand right now, and you have a work for her to do. She was a member of the, um, a number of this church for many years. We loved her to death, and we still love her, and we're going to continue to pray for her. She believes she has a, you have a work for her to do in her homeland, Thailand, and she has gone home to do it. So, Lord, we lift her up to you. Protect her, keep her, and use her in a mighty way. And may the church in Thailand where she's at, Lord, grow and prosper, and many people come to know Jesus. Father God, I want to lift up the members, some other people of this church, Brett and Nona and the, little, and the kids, Selah and Johan, Lord, and Matt, as I believe they're going up to Williamsburg, Virginia on the, on the 12th, I believe it is. Lord God, and they're going to work with CFAN, that's Christ for all nations, and there's, a, there's a, an evangelism uh, crusade going on for three days. And Lord God, we want 
Williamsburg, the birthplace really of America. We want these people. I've been there, Lord. It's a beautiful place. And Lord, this is where pretty much America started. And Lord God, we need America to get back to where they started, get back to God, get back to Jesus Christ and call him Lord and use this crusade. Bless the speakers, bless the fellowship, bless the the um, the the aisle workers, the, the people that are working with the, with the crusade, Lord, bless them and use them in a mighty way to, and you be the glorified. We bind back the evil forces of wickedness that are going to try to stop them in Jesus' name. And we speak salvation to Williamsburg and let it be the birthplace of the third revival here in America. The third great revival, I might say, in Jesus' holy name. And to you be the glory, Lord. Uh, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, church, before we go into the Bible study, we have a clip that Fred and Matt know to put together. I'm going to bring them up here. We're going to show it for those online. You're not going to be able to see it. But you can hear Bretton is going to speak and, and uh, fill you in on a little bit for about five minutes or so. So, and we want you to know, you know, this church is about revival. We want to see people saved. We want to see missionaries go out and lead people to Christ and change the world, not just Boynton Beach. Good morning online, everybody. How are you doing today? I just want to give a quick uh, brief update and share about the amazing things God is doing. Of course, I'm a missionary. I travel. I preach the gospel. I'm more of an evangelist now than anything else that is called by God to minister and share the gospel, specifically, like Paul said, where the gospel has not been preached before and not lay on another foundation. So we recently, again, Pastor Joe just prayed. I really appreciate that. We're going up to uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, and we're actually leaving probably tomorrow or Tuesday. We're going to drive up to Williamsburg with the family, and there's going to be a great gospel crusade going on there, right in the birthplace of America, and we're believing God, you know, we're believing God, He can do anything, right, He can do all things, right, nothing's impossible for Him, what's impossible with man, we might, we might be getting discouraged by CNN, you know, and all the news and all the things the devil's doing, but what I like to say is, you know, the darkness can only overtake us if the light hides in the bushel, okay? Because the or we get raptured out of here. As long as we're on the earth, the body of Christ is still here. And Jesus said to, to the world, he said, I am the light of the world. But then he looked at his disciples and said, you're the light of the world. And you're the salt of the earth. And that's not metaphorical. That's not symbolic. It's literal. We're the body of Christ on earth. His spirit dwells in us. And we are the light. The only way the darkness is going to keep taking ground is if we stay hidden and hide under our bushel. So this is why we do what we do. We go out and we preach the gospel. We go out. I was meeting with a, the most prominent Baptist church in Williamsburg, Virginia. So we, we actually got connected to almost 100 churches are partnered together to do this crusade. I mean, in America, that's amazing, guys. In Africa, we get 10,000 churches together. But if you can get 10 churches together in America, something's happening, amen? So we were meeting with him. Long story short, he was like, you know, we, we, we hear about this crusade, and we want to partner, and we, we love what you guys are doing, and we want to see the gospel preached, and, you know, 
but you know we're we're Baptist, brother Brett, and you know, you know we believe in gifts, but we don't do that. So so you know what's gonna happen at this crusade? You know if you guys are you guys gonna get you know spiritual? <laughs> and uh, I said, listen, brother, we're gonna preach. This is not a church event, and this is you know the most prominent Baptist pastor in Williamsburg. I said, brother, we're gonna preach the gospel to the lost, man. This is, this is out in the open. This is right in the heart of the city. People might come with devils. People might come with sickness. And I said, we're not going to just preach the gospel as if it's, it has no power. You know, this is the power of God unto salvation that's being released. And I go, this ain't a church event. I go, you're going to see the power of God in your city. And he just looks at me and he's like, so what, what's going to happen if something crazy happens? I go, look, you guys will deal with it. You're the local pastors. <laughs> So he goes, I like you guys. We're going we're gonna to do this. So anyway, you know, pre- please keep praying for Vir- Williamsburg, Virginia. We are going up this week, this coming week. And the event is the, the uh, 13th, 14th through the 16th. And we're going to see the gospel preached and souls get saved in America. Amen. And 100 churches are coming together. So we're about to show a video in one minute. I just want to give you some kind of uh, uh, background so we just did a crusade in Egypt, Cairo, Egypt, okay? This was right a month ago, month and a half back in August. And if you guys are not aware, uh, Cairo, Egypt is not the place you go to gospel crusades. What you're about to see is actually very holy and historic, okay? This crusade, that at the end of the crusade, at the end of five days, we did a five-day gospel crusade. There was 109,000 attendants that came to this crusade and heard the gospel. Predominantly, predominantly Muslim people that have never heard the gospel before. You're going to see a video that's historic, guys. This, this, you know, we're used to freedom in America. We're used to the gospel being preached in Billy Graham crusades. This actually has never happened in the history of Egypt. Never. Okay, the largest public event that they had outside of the church walls was like a thousand people, guys. This is a historic move of God that's just beginning in Egypt. You're going to, and you're just going to get a glimpse of it. I don't want to drag this on too much, but the video will speak for itself. But you're going to see the glory of God, people getting healed, Muslims coming to Christ. We had women who were getting dreams, visitate, I mean, full-on Muslim women, you know, radical Muslims. And they were getting dreams of Jesus Christ, like you read about in the books. They were getting dreams and revelations of Jesus Christ. They didn't even know who it was. And he was appearing to them like a man shining like the sun in heaven in glory. And they would go around the community and they're like, I don't understand what's happening. I saw this man in my dream. He spoke to me and I don't know who he is. And the Christians were speaking up and said, listen, that's Jesus. He's encountering you. You need to go to this crusade and hear more about him. And she's like, I want to go. I want to know about him. I want to know more about this Jesus. Second night of the crusade, she came and got saved. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. Okay, this is one of the most predominantly Muslim nations in the world. The third night, she came back with all her Muslim friends, and I was preaching. And they all gave their lives to Jesus Christ on the third night. So anyway, I'm not going to speak too much. I just want to let this video roll, and it'll speak for itself. Our whole event that we've been organizing for months has just been shut down because there was a recent church fire. Put the volume just a touch up.
our whole event that we've been organizing for months has just been shut down because there was a recent church fire. And uh, according to locals, they believe it might have been some type of terrorist attack. Uh, no one really knows at this point, but because of that, we literally have one week to reorganize and do a whole different event in a whole different place. And now we're trusting God to come through, to make a way out of no ways, to do the impossible. In the middle of the Middle East, in the place where Jesus walked, when he was a young man, he came to Egypt and he gave the people hope. Mark, the, uh, the apostle Mark, actually was martyred in Egypt and he shed his blood to be uh, like the first fruit of what God was going to do here. As you see behind me, this amazing warehouse full of Bibles. These Bibles are in Arabic. We have New Testaments. We have discipleship booklets. We have audio Bibles. And this ministry has just said, give us free Bibles for all the new believers so that disciples can be made. This is incredible, guys. And we're praising Jesus. We're a couple days into the event. And so many people, so many people are getting healed. So many tangible miracles and so many unbelievers, Muslims, are coming to Jesus Christ. It's incredible. I've done other crusades before, other events, and this is something so uh, different that we're experiencing here. And the whole city is, is buzzing. The whole city is being stirred. Baptism, hundreds of people day, were baptized. It almost doubled in size, and many, many people are coming that never heard of Christ. We're already getting reports of uh, women getting dreams, Muslims getting dreams of Jesus Christ speaking to them, appearing to them, and then they're getting led to the event to hear the good news. You see, God so loved you that He made a way to save you. He gave a sacrifice for you. And what was your problem? This woman was blind for seven years. Muslim woman. We reached 109,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So many people were touched, so many people were healed, so many people were set free and saved. Just to give you an example, on the fourth night we had a barrel where we people can come and in an act of repentance, they could throw their idols, their witchcraft, their drugs into this barrel. And hundreds upon hundreds of people came and repented and threw their items into this barrel. And so many got set free after. And then on the final night, we saw the most 
massive harvest that I've ever seen in my life. Tens of thousands of people heard the gospel and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And we're still hearing the testimonies of how people were going home and getting filled with the Holy Spirit as they were walking home in the streets. And it was a great harvest here. We believe the work has just begun and we're going to make disciples of these people. But we give all the glory to God and we praise Him for what He has done in Cairo, Egypt. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. And so I just, in closing, I just want to say that one thing I said at the end, the work has just begun. That city, Cairo, Egypt, has 25 million people. It's one of the five largest cities in the world. Less than 1% are Christian, guys. Less than 1%. That city's full of Muslims, and we're going back. The pastor who helped organize the event, he announced we're going to take the city next year. We're going to go to this, the uh, stadium and do another crusade. And we're praying, guys. We're going to make disciples. They're starting a discipleship school. There was something estimated around 20,000 new believers, 20,000 new converts after this event. And we're going to have discipleship for them. We, as you guys saw, we did baptism. And what we're going to do is ask you guys to help. I mean, we're going to go back every year. We're going to do more events. So much so that we, right after this event, long story short, we, a, team of our te- a part of our team went to pray over the stadium and talk to the, the managers of the stadium for the next crusade. And when we got there, the military already knew all about us. They were like, what? They, they were like, no, no, no. They, they said, what are you guys doing here? We said, we're here to rent the stadium next year. And they said, oh, we already know all about you guys. And we're like, what do you mean? They said they sent hundreds of spies to our event to shut the event down. Hundreds of military Muslim spies. And the reason was, was they thought there was going to be a riot, chaos. Because there was Christians and Muslims together. There was church leaders and gang leaders together. There was rival gangs. All these people came to the event and they thought it was going to turn into a big riot. And so instead they came, the government sent spies in to shut it down. And instead they came and saw people getting healed and saved and set free instead of fighting and killing each other, amen? And they were so shocked, they went back and told the president of Egypt. And he said, who are these people? I need to meet them. So now we're waiting for a call from the president so that we can get favor to go ahead and do more and more events. So guys, this is glorious. Let's just praise God and I'll give the mic back over to Pastor Joe. Am I live? Yeah. Amen. Thank you. See, it's, you know, you look at what's happening in America, and you don't see too much of this stuff going on, but, you know, it's happening around the world. You know, people are getting saved. I used to wonder whenever I was a young believer, I used to wonder, nobody's getting saved, nobody's getting saved. And then, you know, you, you get older in the Lord, and you find out, hey, we're still working. You know, a young guy like Matt gets saved. <laughs> you know, a young guy like Brett gets saved. A young guy like... Like uh, we know, Max, 23 years old, gets saved, you know, and that's happening in hopefully every church. And God's raising up his church, and people are hearing. The enemy has has taken far too long, uh, taken too much ground from the church, and it's time to go get it back. Again, there's books in the back that I wrote about faith, a wake-up call for the church, they're free, or you can, you know, if you want to donate, they're really $15. So, but take one, they're free, and there's even a little silver tray back there. But I've been on that. I've been wrote that book. I've been writing that book for 10 years, 
And now look at it's coming together. It's time for the church to, um, you know, to, to um, wake up. And God knew that ten years ago, and He had me pen it. I didn't know I way I took way too long as far as I'm concerned, but I think it's hitting right now at the right time. So anyway, uh, God bless. Listen, we're in Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to, like I said, read three or four verses that we did last week, but I want, because it's very, very important. And if it's all we get to today, which I doubt, we got plenty of time left, you know, it's, it's important. So, remember, Jesus just fed the 4,000. You know, the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were out to get him. They wanted to see a sign. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. You know why he says I'm going to give them a sign? Because they've been following him. They've been trying to get rid of him, get him executed somehow to get rid of him. And they've been seeing him heal lepers, raise the dead, you know, um, you know, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the mute talking, demons cast out. Jesus said, I gave you, what he was saying was, I gave you enough signs. You're just trying to, to uh, you know, find something. That's it. They weren't really. So he gives them the, the main sign. He says, you know, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish or the great whale or however you will see monster, whichever version you choose, so will I be in the heart of the earth. What he was saying was, I'm going to be die. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. Three days later, I'm going to rise just like Jonah. You know, when you see that happen, you'll know who I am. So, so here, here goes. Now, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? And he said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Listen, we're going to stop there because I'm going to get into that next. Jesus wanted to know who the people say that he is, so he asks the disciples. And then he, the question for today and every day to every person that ever walked on the face of the earth, that question is applying to you. Who do you say that I am? Actually, Jesus used the name of God there. Who do you say I am? Because that's the name of God. If you read Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses was at the burning bush, that wouldn't burn. And he told him to go deliver Israel from Egypt. Because God, he was going to be his spokesperson. And he said, well, who should I say sent me? And he said, I am who I am sent you. Tell them that. Jesus already has given, you know, the seven I am statements of the Bible, which we'll touch on a little bit shortly. You know, who do you say is? That's the most important question that you could ever answer. Because if you don't answer it, you're probably saying no at that point. So, you know what? This is, 
uh, verses that a lot of preachers end their message on, and I'm starting with it because I ended on that last week. And now I'm starting with it again because you over the Internet, I have no idea where you've been, what you've done, how I know. I don't know your names. Probably some of you I do. But who do you say Jesus is? That's an important question. And Jesus and Peter spoke up and he said, you are the, you are the, Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Thou art the Messiah, in other words, because Messiah is Hebrew, and Christ is used. Jesus is in a predominantly um, Gentile area here. So Christ fits better with the Greek culture. Who do you say? I mean, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Do you know that? Do you know that? That he's the Christ, the Son of God. Do you know that, but never received him? You don't care. You know it, but hey, I got, I got all this other junk in my way. I can't, I got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. You, you come as you are, and God will take that away from you. You'll come as you are to Jesus, and you'll leave a different person. You won't stay as you are if you truly came to know him. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal to you this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. For every believer who came to the realization that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, you came to that point right there, and it was the Father who let you know who Jesus was. So that particular day is the day that God revealed to you who Christ was. And if you did nothing with it, it's time to do something with it right now. It's time to receive him because God has already spoken to you and you are guilty if you say no. And the blood of Jesus, which cleanses away all your sin, will not wash away your sins because you treated his blood as if it was unholy. Just like Hebrews tells us. Do you agree with Peter that he's the son of the living God? I do. Let me tell you something. When I found out that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, God revealed it to me. I've got to say this. I sat on it for days or weeks. I don't remember how long. But finally it caught up to me. You know, i got to do something with this. And I received Christ as my Savior. You have to do something with it. If you do nothing with it, you're going to end up at the wrong judgment. There's two judgments in scriptures, and if you've been a believer a while, there's the white throne judgment where you will be sent to the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels because you tread underfoot the holy blood of Jesus Christ. I was telling somebody the other day, somebody said to me, you know, I can't believe in Jesus. He's a man. And I said, that's your problem. He's God. He's not a man. He's God. You've got to picture him for who he is. He didn't realize who he was. And this guy had accepted the Lord. But he slipped backwards as the years went on. So do you agree? Well, you know what? And last week I backed it up with Scripture. The people say he's Elijah, maybe a prophet, maybe he's John the Baptist. But the Bible, it's very clear, 
Here's what the Father, the Father God in heaven says about Jesus. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father said that, loud and clear so people could hear it. Not just once in the Scriptures, but several times. Who does Jesus say he is? He says this in John 8, 24. For those of you online, pay attention. Therefore, he said to you, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am the name of God. You will die in your sins because the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God, which is free, is eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. But he said, ego me" in Greek. Ego, I. Emi, I am. Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was very specific as to who he is. So if you say he's just a prophet, a great man, yes, he is. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a great man. He's God clothed with flesh. Check out Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. A body was prepared for him. So Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I, I am the good shepherd. I, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am the way to truth and the life. And I, I am the true vine, the genuine vine. All others are imposters. Then we see, who do the demons say that I am? I know who you are, said the demonic man, the demoniac. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Even demons know, but you don't know. How can that be? You know what? That's why Jesus said, Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe, because the demons saw him when they were holy angels that fell, following Lucifer, who is now Satan. The demons know who Jesus is. Jesus had to command the demons to shut up so that they wouldn't reveal who he is because they saw him. Who do you say I am then? Simon Peter answered correctly. So if you believe this, then how, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal was God, serve him, said Elisha. You know what? If Jesus is God, serve him. He just gave an excellent report and even visual aids to help you know who Jesus Christ is. A lady was blind, and now she sees. She probably was a Muslim. She's probably called a Christian now because she received Christ as her Savior, and she wasn't the only one. 109,000 people, hard to imagine. That's bigger than a football stadium. That's like two and a half or three football stadiums full of people. So how long are you out there going to waver between two opinions? If Jesus is God, serve him. And he is God, as you well know. You're just hiding from the fact. And all you're doing is delaying your destruction, and hopefully you'll be saved. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear fire and brimstone messages, but Jesus was very specific. 
fire and brimstone goes along with this Christian, Christian gospel. We live in America. You know what? I bled for Christ one time. I was, I was working over at the church where I worked, and a bougainvillea bit me. That's the only blood I'm going to shed for Jesus probably in America. But these people over that just gave their life in Cairo, Egypt, they might have to give their life for the sight that they received. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves for a wavering between two opinions. That's an unstable man. He's tossed around by every wind of doctrine. You know, so you've got to set your foundation stone, and Jesus is that foundation stone. We're going to see that later as we go on. And then what shall you do with Jesus Christ if you know these things and you're wavering between two opinions? Then you need to receive Christ as your Savior. But as many as received him, Jesus came to his own people. Those who were his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, he gave you the right to become a child of God. And I don't know about you. I want to be a child of God, and I am a child of God, and I think you should be a child of God. But you have to receive him as your Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about receiving the gift that God has given, that indescribable gift. If it's that gift that God gave to you is still under the tree, it's time to go over, pick it up, open it up, and receive Christ's gift of eternal life. That's time. It's important, church. It's important, people. The most important question ever asked is, who do you say that I am? Well, let's get back to our real study. Listen, for those of you out there, if you receive Christ as your Savior, you don't need me to lead you in prayer. Just bow your heart, not your head. Bow your heart and say to Jesus, say to the Lord, I'm a sinner. I fall short of your glory. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I receive him as my Savior. Come into my heart, Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, by the way, as you well know. Listen to this. So let's move on to uh, verse, um, let's see, 18 of Matthew 16. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you Loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should not tell anyone who that he is the Christ. Look at this. What's Jesus really saying here? He's saying, listen, very, very clearly, this is his church. A lot of people think Peter is the rock of the church. He's not the rock of the church. This is Christ's church. So for those of you who think Peter is high and mighty, he was just a believer like you and me. And he was a believer because he saw what happened. He saw him. He felt him. He touched him. He kissed him. He hugged him. He let him wash his feet. Peter was very clear as to who Jesus is. He, well, it's, it's not Peter's church. This is God's church through Christ. 
And Jesus goes on, and he says, Upon this rock I will build my church. So listen, if you go into the Greek, rock is Petra. And Petra is a fragment of a rock. That's the Greek word, and that means a fragment of a rock, the little rock. Now, when it comes to, you know, I will build my church, and on this rock I will build my church, he's talking about rock, and it in Hebrew is petros, which means, I'm sorry, petra, which means the rock mountain or the immovable stone. So Peter's just a fragment of the rock, Jesus is the rock of our salvation, which we well know. He is the rock. He is the immovable rock. Peter's just a pebble. Jesus is the rock, the rock mountain, as you could say. Who then is the rock? It's Jesus of the church. It's his church, not Peter's church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3, 11. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which laid it, which is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock, and he is the foundation stone of the Scriptures. You don't believe that? See, the Old Testament talks about it. Go back to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed or destroyed. He's the foundation stone. If you want to have a good church, the foundation stone, Jesus Christ, has to be set perfectly square. And Jesus does that to the start of any church. So what was Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm going to build my church upon the confession of Peter and fellow believers, upon the confession, upon the work of Christ. Psalm 118, verse 22, if you want to turn there. Psalm 118, and verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected, the builders is a reference to the Hebrew people. The stones which the Hebrews rejected has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone, as I said. Perfectly square. If it isn't set perfectly square, the whole building's going to be out of whack. I've actually seen that in buildings that were built because the foundation stone was not set perfect. So, what is the work? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and receive Him as your Savior and believe in your heart, listen, very important, 
Believe in your heart. That God raised him from the dead. If you think Jesus isn't alive, this verse should clear it up for you. That God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. Salvation is so simple. And the church has done exactly, a lot of churches have done exactly what the Jews have done. God wrote, Keep the Sabbath day holy, and the Jews wrote 24 volumes on how to keep it holy. Just keep it holy. With your whole heart unto righteousness, and with the mouth a confession is made unto salvation. Peter's not the rock, he's the fragment. He is not the exclusive foundation of the Christian church. I know certain religion likes to claim Peter as the first pope. You know, churches really didn't exist till about 312 A.D. when Constantine allowed Christianity to exist because he believed that Christ was the one that allowed him to conquer the land or conquer the other, other military leaders that were fighting for, for, to be Caesar of Rome. And he attributed it to Christ. That's not what Christ is all about. There's a war going on, but it's a war with weapons that bring life and does not take life. Jesus is the foundation stone. Six reasons here on, on top, of, top of what I just said was why the rock is not Peter. Well, number one, we just studied it. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, not Peter. Even Acts chapter 4, verse 11 says, And this is the stone which was set not of the builders, which is become the head of the corner. People ask me, why, why did Sapphira, you know, Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, why were they killed? Why did they drop dead when they lied to Peter? Well, Peter identified that as why they lied, because he lay, they lied to the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay? God was setting a foundation stone, and that foundation stone needed to be set perfect. And what he was saying that was, don't you dare lie to my Holy Spirit. Listen, my Holy Spirit. The church got the message real early. The Trinity exists. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why they died or breathed their last, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. God was setting the stone. It's about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the foundation stone is laid. Even 1 Corinthians 3.13, there's bunches of scriptures about this. For other foundation can no man lay other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.20, and are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
You can't get away from it. It's not Peter's church. It's Jesus Christ's church. I don't care what religion you belong to or what denomination you belong to. This is the church of Christ, not the church of Peter, and he is not the first pope. Because really the churches didn't, there were house churches up until about 300 A.D. Then they start building churches because Constantine allowed it since he, he was allowing Christianity, which was good. And one point, because the Christians weren't fed the lions or, or burned at the stake. But what happened was idol worship moved into the church. Now we got problems. It's great that they didn't have to die, but you've got to keep the idols out. The foundation stone needed to be set right. You've got to get rid of the idols. You've got to do what you saw on that clip. Throw that, throw that junk in a, in a barrel and burn it. Matter of fact, I was at a, ch a person's house the other night trying to lead them to the Lord through a friend here at the church, and I talked to that person, and they did. They accepted Christ. They said they, they, said they always were a Christian. I don't know. Only God knows. I told her there's got to be a change in your life if you're a believer. But I'm walking through the house. She had gone upstairs, and uh, we were getting ready to leave, me and my friend. And I looked on her bookshelf, and there's a Ouija board there. And I'm going, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Come on, if you're a believer, get rid of that stupid Ouija board. It's demonic. You have been given authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall any, by any means hurt you. Number two reason, Petros, which is the rock in Greek, is of the masculine gender. Petra is of the feminine gender, gender, which means masculine is above feminine gender. In Greek, feminine gender, gender cannot refer to a masculine pronoun. So therefore, Jesus is the rock. It just goes on and on. There's undisputable evidence. Jesus is the rock, not Peter. Peter is a fellow elder. Even, said, even Peter says this to himself. He's in 1 Peter 5, 1. He says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also one elder. He's saying, I'm an elder. He's not the rock. He's the el an elder of the church and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also the partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Peter. And number five, Paul puts his ministry on par with Peter. For he who worketh effectively in Peter for the apostleship and the circumcised also worked effectively in me, Paul, refer toward the Gentiles. And then, number six, Paul confronts Peter for spiritual hypocrisy because he used to eat with the Gentiles. And now because certain people came around, he would no longer eat with Gentiles, and Paul had to rebuke him. That means that Peter is not perfect. He's a man. He's a sinner. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. To Peter, even to Mary, the mother of Christ, she was a human being. She was a sinner a blessed 
sinner because God chose her to, to bear his precious uh, son. But she was still a sinner. And her last words in the Bible were this at the wedding of Canaan. She told the people to do whatever he says. And that's the words that should ring through every person, every Christian on the face of the earth. Her last words in the Bible were this. Do whatever he, Jesus, says to do. Not what she says to do, what he says to do. So, Peter was fearing that the, the scribes and the Pharisees that, that insisted on bringing works or religion into the faith, and Paul had to rebuke them. And he did, and Peter accepted it and repented. Peter was not perfect. The gates of hell are powerless against the church. The gates of Hades. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. His church, and no, nothing's going to prevail against the church. They, it's even proven throughout history. Once a government comes down on Christianity, it goes underground, and when it comes back out, it is flourishing. Persecution promoted growth to the church. Hades. Hades is a place of departed, particularly evil spirits. Did you know, and this is a study in itself, and I've taught on it already, but there are five compartments of the underworld, according to the New Testament. There are five compartments to the underworld. Hades is one of them. It's the place of departed evil spirits. Number one is Tartarus. It's a special department for fallen angels who sinned before the flood. You can find references to them in 1 Peter 3.19, 2 Peter 2.4, and Jude 6 and 7, chapter 1, because there's only one chapter. Jude 1, 6, and 7. It's a special place. There's where angels that were placed in bonds of darkness, and they're chained there forever. Actually, they will be released. In the, in the tribulation first for uh, I forget how many days I know but it, we can find that that's a whole other subject but the, the point is there were some demons that were so strong God had to chain them back and a lot of people pay, believe that is the, the uh, in Genesis chapter 6 the Nephilim they were able to cross over into human line that's the believers of some, and that's my belief, but it's questionable in Scripture. But the point is, there are demons that, or Jesus had already bound them. They're not coming out. Because they're so powerful, the whole would deceive the whole church and poison uh, the, the messianic line prior to Christ's birth. It had to be stopped, and God stopped it and chained them in darkness, and that department is called Tartarus. There's paradise which is the abode for the righteous after their physical death prior to the cross. They're held captive until Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave, and now it is empty. You can find that in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. 
as part of it, Luke 23, 43, and some more verses. Then there's the compartment of hell, which is the torment department of Sheol, Hades, where the wicked souls have gone and will always go until the end of the millennium. Then they will be brought out and be reunited with their immortal bodies or their soul and cast into the lake of fire forever because they rejected Jesus Christ. Find that in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, Matthew 16, 18, which is what we're touching on now, and Luke 16, 19 through 21. Then there's the abyss, the bottomless pits. That's the abode of the demons. No human soul will ever be sent there. That's for the demons to be sent. It's also equivalent to Abaddon, and uh, in the scriptures of Revelation chapter 9. These are the Old Testament equivalent to destruction, which is Abaddon was the spirit of, of the destroyer. Then there's the lake of fire, which is also known as Gehenna. Find that in Isaiah 66, 22 and on, Matthew 25, 41, Revelation 14, 9 and to 14, and Revelation 19, 20. The eternal hell and perdition of fallen angels, demons, and wicked men. And Luke 12, 5 says, Fear him who can cast you into hell instead of him that can just kill your soul. I mean, that's just a fast study on that. There's a whole lot more to it. But you know what Jesus is saying? The gates of hell, all five compartments, all the Old Testament compartments, which is more, by the way, there's seven of those in the Old Testament, and some of them will cross over to what I just told you. But that means that the gates of hell, Old Testament, New Testament, will never prevail against the church of God. Ever, never, never. There's no way, shape, or form. I always tell when I'm, I'm talking and I feel I'm in the possession of a demonic force, I always tell them, I say, you're a demon and I'm a saint of God. Who do you think God would side with? He's going to side with me, a saint of God. Those are demons, they're destroyers. They're, 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 they've already been judged. Check it out in Daniel chapter 7. And the Ancient of Days came to the throne and judgment was passed. And God ruled in favor of the saints as the horns were blaspheming God. God has ruled in your favor. Jesus is telling you the gates of hell are not going to prevail against Freedom Church. Not going to prevail against His church. Freedom Church is part of a big conglomerate of churches. It's one church. It's a universal church. So even death, which is the last enemy that will be thrown into the lake of fire at the end of all things, is powerless against you because you're a part of the church. Because the church is not a building, it's you. Don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Listen, 
There are several people that have keys to this church. You know that that key is a symbol of authority. They have the authority to come into this church anytime they want. And you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven because you're a child of God. This wasn't just written for the apostles. This was written for all believers. You have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You can speak to somebody the word of God and they can, they can come to know Jesus and now they become a part of the kingdom of heaven because you have a key to let them in. And that key is Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to get into heaven. By grace, you're saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that any man shall boast. So don't boast about you've been a Sunday school teacher for 25 years and you're going to heaven. Don't boast about, you know, you go to church every Sunday. You know, you're going to heaven because you believe in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Don't you know that you have been called the freedom, brethren? Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but love one another. Lewis just quoted that as he come off of the worship. You are called the freedom, brethren. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity to fret. Just because you're saved, don't abuse God's grace. It's as simple as it gets. Don't abuse it. You're a child of God. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But we got to do our best. You can come as you are, but you aren't going to stay as you are. Because if you stay as you are, you made a head commitment to the Lord, not a heart commitment. People grow at different rates. Revelation 1.17 says, And when I saw him, I fell at, my, at his feet as if I were dead. And he laid his right hand upon me. And he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to hell and death, and so do you. Keys are a symbol of that authority. You know, there were people, Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22, there were people that had the keys to, the, to David's house. You know why? Because they had the authority to enter there. You have the authority. And Jesus, when he came to the seven churches and revealed to us, he says, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and I have the keys to hell and death. Devil doesn't have it anymore. I bought four times yesterday at least. I told the devil, you can't take me. You have no authority over me. Quit putting this dumb thought in my mind that you keep giving me. Because you have no authority. Jesus came that I might have life and I might have it abundantly. And the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But that was before the cross. So he has no right to steal, kill, or destroy you. He has no authority over you anymore. He was stripped of it at the cross. A lot of people are scared to death of the devil. You look at the devil and you start quoting scripture. He hates Scripture. He's going to run away as fast as he can. But you have a responsibility. You've got to submit to God and resist the devil. So you resist the devil by submitting to God. It's as simple as that. Christ's followers, in other words, 
will be agents of God's will on this earth. That's why Jesus said, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are, we are to do the will of God on earth so that other people will see and know and the world will become more on Christ's side. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the goal that we should work for. Why do you think missionaries go out and pastors preach and evangelists evangelize? Because they want the will of God to be done on earth. The more believers we have that are serving the Lord, the faster we're going to get to the point that we need to get to, which is, the, as far as I'm concerned, the rapture, and I'm getting out of here. I'd rather be changed in the twinkling of an eye than be buried. That's just me. Chances are I'm going to end up buried. But the point is, I would love to be standing here and watching everybody in the church, and I'll be preaching, and all you guys disappear, and so do I. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? You know what? If you churches aren't preaching the gospel, and there's people left, you have failed. That's my goal. I love, I'd love to have a bigger church. But I've been put in respons responsible for the sheep that God gave me, and I don't want to lose a one. He was faithful in little, was faithful in much. It's not about, I have to go through this in my mind all the time, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Just a few more minutes and I'm done and I'll continue next week on the 22nd verse Matthew 16 21 from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day listen he must go. And it's been implied throughout this whole passage that we're going to see here. It's implied that he must go. He must suffer. Read Isaiah chapter 53. And read Psalm chapter 22. He must suffer. He must be killed. He must die. Because without the shedding of righteous blood, there's no remission for sin. There's nobody else that is righteous on the earth to do it. God had to send his son, and he had to be tested and tried, and he passed with flying colors. He got an A++++ to infinity. He suffered, he died, was killed for you, and he was raised, and he's telling the disciples, I will be raised the third day. And just prior, chap same chapter, prior verses, he just told the, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so will I be in the heart of the earth. That's your sign. That's your sign. He's, he will be raised the third day. And the disciples really didn't understand this even when Jesus was crucified. And they didn't understand it until the third day. And then they understood. When John 
looked into the tomb or ran into the tomb, and he believed. And that's what you need to do. We started out this study on who do you say that I am? And Peter said, clearly you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And that's what you need to say. Who do you say that Jesus is? Say with all your heart, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came, who died for me, who shed his righteous blood, that his blood might cleanse away all my sins, and I might have the Holy Spirit, and I might live from him, for him all, these, all of my next days, being born again of the Spirit of God and doing away with the spirit of this world. You do that with all your heart, please notify me, Joe at freedomchurchpb.org. Joe at freedomchurchpb.org. Because I want to know, and I want the congregation here to rejoice that you might be saved, whether you be in China or right here in our local land. Listen, come on back next Sunday, 10 a.m., and I'll be, uh, we'll be speaking again, and I'll continue in Matthew. And to be God be the glory. I love you. Come back. In Jesus' name. Amen.